belong to the Lord fully and completely, but it's forever, forever, never to be separated from our God. That is, that is awesome. Uh, Jesus said it well in John chapter 10, I believe, that no man uh, shall pluck them uh, out of my Father's hand. We are secure in the grip of Almighty God forever and ever and ever, never to be separated. What an awesome, awesome thought. And that's where we find hope. That's where we find peace. And, uh, you know, if you're here with us uh, and you don't have that hope and that peace, I want you to know, without a shadow of a doubt, God wants you to have that. He wants you to have that hope and peace. And I just thank God that He gives it freely to all those that come and receive it by faith. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 3 this morning. Well, you're probably wondering why all of the men here that were signed up for the turkey bowl are looking energized and not wearing bandages or on crutches, that's because we postponed it. So we're going to look at uh, maybe postponing it to this coming Saturday. I don't know if it'll happen. We'll, we'll just see. Uh, and uh, so you stand by to stand by. I know many of you were disappointed. You were there ready to go with your lawn chairs and and uh, we were expecting a big crowd. Not really, but it was. Uh, we were looking forward to it. And uh, but we will try to uh, see what the, this week holds. Uh, I even had the thought, just maybe since high school football season is over with, I even had the the thought of perhaps doing it if they would provide lighting there at the park. Maybe doing it on Friday night. But I don't know if that'll work. So we'll see. Either way, we'll have fun with it. But, you know, one thing I didn't get to do this year that I was hoping to do is to get out there on the field and run off uh, some of that turkey and gravy, sweet potatoes and pecan pie and, you know, all the other stuff that I thoroughly enjoyed on Thanksgiving. Wasn't that a blessing? Wasn't that a blessing? I think y'all did celebrate Thanksgiving, didn't you? Amen. It sure was. It was a great blessing. And some of you are still having leftovers. Don't be bitter. Be thankful. All right? It'll be gone soon. It will be. Uh, Especially if you have a pet that you can share with. Gracie, our Labrador, uh, she's getting to enjoy some turkey. Just goes a little quicker that way, but uh, I think we're having we're having I think we're having turkey soup today, aren't we, honey? Is that where where honey go? Honey's in children's church. Okay, turkey soup. So hopefully after this soup it'll be gone. All right, until Christmas, her family always cooks a turkey. So yes, I'll probably be eating turkey again, but it'll be all right because we're thankful. Amen. No complaints here. We're thankful for the abundance that God has blessed us with. Um, you know. That, that is that is something else. You know, Kroger had turkey for uh, 59 cents a pound. That's pretty good, isn't it? And um, they had it on sale yesterday, in fact. And uh, so I picked up another one because we're going to cook one for, for Christmas and um, for Joanna's family. So I went ahead and picked up one, but unfortunately it wasn't quite big enough. I was supposed to get a 24-pounder because uh, I think we're feeding like 40 people. But uh, So I picked up an 18-pounder, so I'm just going to say, everybody just take a few slices when it comes your turn, okay? What does that have to do with the message? Nothing, okay? So we're moving forward here in just a minute. Uh, but again, I hope everyone did enjoy it. I see some of you made it in safely from traveling. I was praying for you. I want you to know that. And uh, thankful for, I hope everyone did enjoy some relaxing time, some good fellowship with family, and a good time of giving thanks to the Lord. And... Uh, and even if your ball team did not win uh, yesterday, it's okay. We can give thanks. Uh, like I said the other day in one of the messages, it does not matter if your ball team loses because you're still a winner in Jesus. Amen? And that's what really matters. So you can pout for it with about five minutes and then just move on. 
All right. But uh, but praise the Lord. It's been a good week and uh, looking forward to December. It's hard to believe. We're just right around the corner here. Uh, we'll be getting into December and all the things that come with that month, the busyness of life. But nevertheless, we always want to take time to, to be in our place, uh, to give thanks to the Lord and to worship Him and thank God for His goodness. Titus chapter number 3, uh, we're beginning this chapter this morning. We finished chapters 1 and 2, and uh, we'll introduce chapter 3 uh, today. And so uh, this, this book of Titus, of course, only has three chapters, uh, but uh, filled with uh, helpful information, especially for the local church. As uh, Titus has been called to this island of Crete, uh, and uh, a great missionary work uh, ahead of him uh, of, of pastoring these people uh, who had a reputation of being misfits, uh, rebels, and uh, lazy, and just uh, really did, had a reputation of being no good uh, to, to, uh, to help towards society and uh, in any form. Uh, but Titus has a heart for them. And uh, thank God for that. We're going to see that even this morning. But Paul is writing this letter to encourage Titus as he is pastoring these people. And the chapters 1 and chapter 2, we talked about how the responsibilities for the leaders, for the pastor. In chapter 2, we talked about the responsibility for the different people groups of the church, or you could say classes, different people groups, and their responsibility. And, uh, and it all goes back to one major theme in the book of Titus. And that is the grace of God, the difference it makes. And so Paul is writing about the, the, the grace of God, how it changes us, and also the importance of how the grace of God helps put things in order. Because there were some serious things, serious things lacking in this local church that Paul had to, uh, and Titus was going to address, but it does not come apart from the grace of God. Let me give you the uh, let's read the, the first two verses here, and then we'll pray and get right into the message. Titus chapter 3. Paul says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men." With Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message to you this morning entitled this, Godly Responsibilities Towards Ungodly Rulers. Godly Responsibilities Towards Ungodly Rulers. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you again for the glorious morning you've given us. And just to be alive is a gift this morning. And Lord, to be saved is an eternal gift for which we give thanks. And so, Lord, as we look to your word, please help us this morning. I confess I can do nothing without you. And I'm so thankful for the dear folks that I, I stand before this morning. I love them. I appreciate them. Thank you for bringing them here this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that we would leave here today changed by your precious holy word and by the working of your spirit. And God will give you the glory and the praise, for it is for you are worthy always to be praised. In Jesus' name, we do ask these things. Amen. Well, again, we talked about the importance of grace over in chapter 2 and, and the difference that grace makes. And we're going to see that flow through in, the, in these first two verses of chapter 3 of how grace changes the heart. It changes uh, the attitude. It changes the mindset. Grace changes things. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, we talked about the importance of understanding grace, that we don't earn grace. Grace is unmerited favor. There's nothing I can do to earn grace. Grace is giving. Uh, grace is given by God. And I also think about this, you know, in, in the terms of salvation. You know, some people get that mixed up with work salvation. They say, now look, grace has to be worked for. Okay, uh, so in other words, what they say is uh, works produce grace. They got it wrong. The Bible teaches grace produces works. You see the difference? All right. People say works produces grace, but God says, no, grace produces works. And I'm thankful for the grace that does work in our lives. Thank God for his grace. It certainly works. 
And if you're honest here this morning, you've experienced the grace of God, you would say wholeheartedly, yes, Pastor, to God be the glory. Grace works. It changes us. Thank God for that. So we're seeing the, the change that it's making in the hearts of these people uh, on the island of Crete. Now, let me remind you, just to understand the historical context here, again, about this island of Crete. Uh, now, it was not your modern-day America, though there were some similarities. But it was much worse than what we experience in our society today, much worse. You'll remember that the people were anything but friendly to Christianity. I would say as a whole in our country, uh, our country is friendly towards Christianity, especially in comparison to certain societies in our world and, and, and even in comparison to this time. Their god was Zeus, the Greek god. That's who uh, they worshipped. He was the supreme god worshipped by the Greeks, uh, known to the Romans as the god of Jupiter. Uh, during this time, you'll remember also who was in rule. Who was ruling at this time? I'm here to tell you, he was the furthest thing from a God-fearing man. He was the furthest thing from a born-again Christian. You may have heard of him. His name is Nero. One of the most wicked tyrants that's ever ruled on the face of this earth. Nero. He was in charge of uh, this time frame. He He would have been the authority over these people. And that's who uh, these uh, Cretans uh, were under, uh, that rulership. It was a, a time, again, that we need to understand the context. Uh, this man, Nero, uh, he would go on to punish Christians by burning them alive as entertainment. Uh, he would feed them to ferocious uh, wild animals in, in an arena before crowds of people cheering I'd say we're a lot further from that kind of thinking here in America, aren't we? I mean, I don't know if we'll ever be there. I hope to God not. But at this time of writing this book, that's the man who was in charge. The island of Crete was filled with people that get this, because this is foundational for the message. The island of Crete was filled with people that had no respect for authority. They, they were uh, wild in their hearts, and they were prideful people, and they did what they wanted to do. And, uh, and so we're going to see here that although they had, uh, they had no respect for authority, uh, and Christians uh, are going to be taught on this island, these new believers are going to be taught, and we're going to see here in verses 1 and 2, the importance of respecting authorities that we don't even agree with. In our society. That's exactly where he's going to go here. Because remember, Nero is in charge now. He would be, if you could parallel, like a president. Like President Trump would be to us. Nero was over this region. And uh, he was the one that, uh, that we're going to talk about here in a second. Of ha- having to, using context of understanding the importance of being a godly citizen. You know, uh, I believe it was Daniel Webster that stated this, a great early American statesman. He said, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good, good citizens. Whatever, as he said, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. In other words, those that do truly become Christians and born again, they truly do contribute towards society. They are peacemakers. They do strive to work hard. They do strive to, uh, to, to be balanced in their mind and, and contribute in that way. And, and I want to see that I believe Paul is in, encouraging Titus here uh, to, do, to encourage those dear people on the island of Crete, these, these new Christians, if you will, to know how they should respond to people like Nero. Notice with me three responsibilities of a godly citizen. A godly Citizen. Number one, I believe that uh, one of the responsibilities of a godly citizen, according to verse number one, is to be in compliance to the laws of the land. Now, I know that's uh, pretty much a no-brainer, but we do need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. The people on, on the island of Crete needed to be reminded. How do you know that, Pastor? Because that's exactly what Paul said. He said, put, as it says in your Bible, it says, put them in mind. That basically means remind them. 
of their responsibility of being God-fearing citizens on the island of Crete. And so he says here, and this idea of being in compliance to the law, notice that word subject. He says, uh, put them in mind to be subject. What is that? That's actually a military term. It's a Greek uh, word used for military. It's also used in several other passages of Scripture. But what does it mean? It, it means this. And those of you in the military can understand this a little bit clearly, more clearly, I should say. But it, it, it almost gives you the idea of, of knowing your place. Knowing your rank. And when I was... Uh, I didn't make it too far up the chain, to be honest with you. Uh, you, you come in as an E1, as an enlisted, and, and uh, you can go all the way up to E10. I made it up to E4, so in boot camps, lower it. But being an, being an E3, uh, getting to my first station, you know, you, you, are, you, you find out your rank real quick. <laughs> you know your place uh, on that vessel, and you know who's higher than you, and you know who you have to answer to. And so you know your place. That's the idea of this word, being subject, knowing your rank, if you will, knowing your place in society, and, and specifically when it comes to those in authority in our land. Because notice it says, be subject to who? Well, the first thing, first one, one group it says, principalities. Well, who are these? Uh, who does this refer to? Well, that refers to people who make the laws. Principalities. Elected officials. Our Congress. Uh, when, as uh, representatives. And, and, and those that we uh, put into office and vote into office, they make laws. And they put into those. And we, uh, as godly citizens, are to be subject unto those laws. We see principalities, but then look at powers. It says there, principalities and powers. That's that word, ecusia. Those are the authorities. That's the plural form. Uh, so I believe it's talking about not only uh, respecting those laws that are put into place, but it's respecting and submitting ourselves to those who enforce them. You see, on the island of Crete, and we see it in our society some too, not nearly to the level we would probably see it here, but there was a, there was a, a truly uh, unholy distaste for authority. And they would shun authority. And they would attack authority. And we'll see more about that here in a minute. But Paul is saying, look, tell the church that they need to be compliant to the principalities to the laws that have been put into the land and and also those who enforce the laws that's delegated authority uh, to enforce the law we don't have time to go with it but if you want to do a further study on the on the commandments to Christians for respecting authorities uh, those who uh, rule our land uh, in the sense and who enforce the laws, who make the laws, go to, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And you can also go to Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 2. One, verses 1 and 2, excuse me. And so that, that gives a clear de, a mandate that we are to comply to the law. Now, of course, you do know, uh, I should preface before moving forward, that we do know that if, if the laws of the land ever purely contradict the laws of God, we always go with God. Okay? That's, that's not what Paul's referring to here. Paul is saying, look, you need to be subject unto those principalities and to those powers, and as long as it's, of course, not in contradiction with the law, uh, uh, with the law of the Lord, with, with what He commands. And so that's very important. But also you see here, it says to obey magistrates there in verse 1. Obey magistrates. What does this mean? Well, again, it goes under the, the point here of being in compliance to the law. It means to, to assent or to come, just comply, to agree. You know, this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I should say that the, the most law-abiding people in America should be Christians. Those that show the greatest respect for the laws of our land, the greatest respect for our Constitution, the greatest respect for our elected officials, the greatest respect, and you go down the line, it should be born-again believers. 
That is what it's talking about here, to obey magistrates, to comply. And basically, this word right here, this obeying magistrates, it carries the idea of coming to the understanding that you are not the superior. I am not the superior. Listen, I have to respect the laws that have been made. I'm not, been, I've not been in charge to put the laws in, in place. I have been, I have had a part in voting, of course. But the fact of the matter is, I am not superior. It's obedience and understanding that we are not number one. Because in this mentality, and we see it in America, but it should not be upon God's people. This is the mentality on the, on the island of Crete was, I like my way better. I like my way better. I don't like that law. I don't like that law. It doesn't fit into my, my preference. And there becomes a spirit of rebellion there. And Paul's saying, look, that's, that's, that's ungodly. You don't want to do that. You, you want to obey magistrates. And so we see here that there, there is a respect and a compliance to the law. But secondly here, not only do I see uh, as a responsibility of a godly citizen to comply to the law, but secondly, I see compassion for the community. I believe if we want to be godly citizens in, in America and in Jackson County, if we can bring it down to our level, or athens Clark. Uh, wherever county you reside in, that, that we should have compassion for our community. Look there at verse uh, number 1 again. It says here, after to obey magistrates, then it says to be ready to every good work. What does that mean? I believe this is what it means. I believe it means God's people ought to be always ready in some way to contribute to their community for the cause of Jesus Christ. We as God's people should be out in the community looking for how we can contribute and be a blessing to the folks of our land, to the folks of our, our village, if you will, to the folks of our town, to the folks of our city, how we can stand out by being a blessing, looking for opportunities to serve. Being ready. That means, boy, you are looking for an opportunity. You're not just waiting for somebody to beg you to do something. Now you say, now pastor, uh, you mean uh, as, as God's people, the Lord expects us to be out in the community, uh, to volunteer perhaps, or to be, a, to be a blessing in some way? Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm saying. A lot of times Christians think the only place that they can serve is, is inside this church or somewhere in this church, which is, that's necessary. We've talked about that. Well, we also got to understand the importance of moving outward. And it may, it may just be picking trash up on the side of the road. You see, sometimes these, uh, these communities will have a sign and it will say, Adopted by some family. I've even seen a church. I mean, I'm just, just a little example, but what is that? That is basically someone that's saying, I would like to contribute toward my community, I'd like to be a help. I'd like to do something. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to introduce something perhaps in the, in, the, um, in the coming months, perhaps in January, an opportunity for us to serve our community. I believe Good News Club is a way that we serve our community. I believe there are other ways. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a mentoring program called Legacy. Uh, that's in all the, the schools around our area, Commerce, Jefferson, Jackson County, all the schools, elementary, middle, high school. And there is a extreme need for mentors. And they are begging, they are begging, they are, they are begging for people, men, women, to, to, to come alongside some of these kids in our schools that are just coming from just horrific context. Very abusive context, uh, very, uh, very neglected situations, and just have no mentors in their life. They don't have uh, the mom and dad presence at home to love them, encourage them, and help them. And so what the community is doing is they're crying out for people to come help. And I believe one of the first people groups that should respond is, is the, the Christians in the community. I believe the local churches ought to step up and say, hey, we can help. We can provide some positive reinforcement to be a light for Christ, to be an example of Christ. And I believe that's what being ready for every good work. Those are just some small examples. We could, we could spend here all day talking about ways. But church, we need to do this. We need to get our minds turning on ways that we can get into our community. 
I can't think, I can't sit here even as the pastor and come up with all these things because you are out in the community too and you can think of things that I'll never think of. And that's great. And I hope you do. And I hope we collectively figure out ways that we can get out and be ready for every good work. George Truett was a tremendously effective pastor for decades in Texas. His heart was broken. Tragic story. His heart was broken when he accidentally killed his best friend while they were on a hunting trip. His daughter said that she never heard him laugh after that day. Truett had a radio program, and each day when, when it came to the close, he would say this, Be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time. Because he knew personally what a heavy burden people could be carrying, he encouraged compassion towards them. And sometimes, church, let's be honest, we cross paths with people who seem uh, uh, to be very easy to like, yet there is usually, uh, is, is not very easily to like, I should say, but usually there's a reason behind that. Usually there's been a hurt Usually there's been a tragedy. Usually there's been an abuse. Usually there's been something along the line where there's been a hurt. And that's where I believe God's people come alongside and contribute. And what we can claim and give credit to is the power of God. The hope of God. The peace of God. That's where we get our hope and peace from. And by the way, I just want to clarify that many times uh, this is simply uh, building bridges to share the gospel. It may not be in itself uh, where we can do that uh, at, the, at the, the volunteer work we're doing. Maybe we can't openly do it there, but by showing the love of Christ, what does that do? It sends out a light. It puts salt there. It provokes righteousness. And that brings glory to Jesus Christ. If anybody ever comes to you and say, why do you do what, I do, what you do? It's because I believe Jesus commands me to. I believe Jesus commands us to. To be ready. For every good work. I, I hope to God that we, we the, the members and friends of Crooked Creek Baptist Church will make it a point every time they walk out these doors and every time they're in their workplace that you will strive to be ready for every good work. It might be picking up something for somebody that failed just as little as that. It might be helping someone carry something. It might be opening a door. It might be buying someone's lunch. It might be buying somebody's coffee. It might be coming along somebody that looks sad and says, hey, do you mind if I have a word of prayer for you? It, it, it just an endless list of things that we could just be ready to show a good and kind work for the glory of God. You want to be a godly citizen? Every day it will be on your mind is how can I be a blessing today? How can I bless someone? Lord, lead me to somebody that's hurting. Lead me to somebody that I could just encourage for you. Hey, the list is endless of things we can do. But it says to every good work. Something that I think everybody in this church would be familiar with. You've probably heard it by now since you were out shopping. By the way, I will have you know that I did get the courage to go out Friday morning. I was there at Kohl's, I believe, at 6 a.m. And I was shocked at what I saw. I was shocked. Brother Mike, I couldn't believe it. There was hardly anybody there. I said, man, I, I almost put my shoulder pads and helmet on this morning. I thought I was coming in for a battle. And like, uh, no, sir, they were all here at midnight. She said, yeah, the, you should have been here at midnight. It was packed. The, I mean, seriously, the parking lot was literally almost empty. I mean, I, would, I mean, there were maybe a dozen cars, maybe, a, maybe 20 cars in the parking lot going in. Hardly no crowds, no lines, no lines at all. And I'm like, this is weird. It's like, wow. Well, they were out of everything, so it just it didn't make any sense. Not everything, but a lot of things. Where was I going with that? Somebody help me out here. Oh, you probably have heard by now, by going out shopping, you've heard that little bell. You've heard the, the ringing, uh, whether it be at Walmart or wherever it may be. And that, again, that is a, a, a uh, I would say, a ministry, a group of people 
that a long time ago, a man by the name of William Booth got a burden for helping people, for contributing to the community, helping the homeless, reaching out to those that were in need. And we see that that is a result of somebody that was ready for every good work. You know what the the slogan or the motto is for the uh, Salvation Army? It's this, doing the most good. That's what I call being ready for every good work. Every good work. Demonstrating God's grace gives opportunities to teach God's grace. We need to be looking for ways to show a good work. That's what grace does. Isn't it awesome that grace changes us? That grace produces works in our life, works of kindness, works of forgiveness, works of compassion. That's what grace produces. And when we allow that grace to flow over in works as we go out into our communities, God supernaturally opens up doors to share the grace of God, the gospel. That's what these people on the island of Crete are learning. That's what you and I are learning. That's what we're learning by God's grace. There was a, a Peanuts cartoon that, uh, where Peanuts is uh, trying to cheer up Snoopy in a snowstorm. And there they are, shows Snoopy sitting outside in the middle of a snowstorm. He's shivering from the cold. Linus and Charlie Brown happened to, happened to see him, happened by and see Snoopy in his condition. They say, hey, there's Snoopy! Let's go cheer him up. They go up to Snoopy and say, be of good cheer, Snoopy. The next panel shows them walking off, leaving Snoopy in the same condition they found him, satisfied that they have cheered him up. You know, you know, that's a cute little cartoon, but the truth is, sometimes we do that as God's people. We just maybe, just maybe give a word, or we talk about what we should do. But the truth of the matter is, people need an act of love. They need our contribution. They need our, our work to help them and to encourage them. To help people get healed. And, and I, you remember Brother Bradley Edmondson came here the other day and he's a, they, they go to these mission fields and he said, look, we get to share the gospel all the time. How do they get to share the gospel? I'll tell you how they get to share the gospel so easily. It's because of they go and they do a, a very good work. And what is that? It's a medical work. They do, they go and provide medical attention. They provide medicines. They provide a way of kindness to reach them. And when they do that, it opens up their heart to the grace of God, the gospel. And it's a good work, showing compassion that truly works. So we see here that being a godly citizen is number one, compliance to the law. But then, and we see, uh, that it is also, uh, contributing or showing compassion for the community. But then I want us to see here that it also requires us to communicate with respect. A communication that is respectful. Look at verse 2. It says here, and in context to the authorities of our land, it says to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now this, if we're not careful, church, this is where the church can truly fail miserably. Because a lot of times what we'll do is we want to follow in the steps of those that are hostile, arrogant, and truly disgraceful in the way they speak about the rulers and authorities of our land. And Paul is telling Titus, Pastor Titus, you've got to tell these dear folks that they have got to speak properly when it comes to the authorities. Don't badmouth the authorities. And so we see here, first of all, this communication that is respectful. Look at number one. He says, speak evil of no man. Wow. Does that really say that? In verse two, to speak evil of no man. Now wait a minute, Paul. You, Paul, you must have missed something. Maybe you didn't get a good night's rest. But Paul, do you did you remember who's in charge right now of our land? 
Now, wait a minute, Paul. Did you forget about this tyrant by the name of Nero? I don't think Paul forgot at all. I believe Paul had Nero in mind when he told Titus to speak evil of no man. You see, Christians, we have a responsibility. Yes, we can have an opinion. Yes, we can disagree with a policy. But we must always speak with grace. Because if we don't, we lose our testimony. We lose our testimony for the grace of God. And this, these dear folks on the island of Crete needed to rest, re, understand. What does this speaking evil mean? What, how does that translate, Pastor? I believe it translates as this. It means to refrain from verbal attacks on the leaders of our land. That's what I believe. I believe specifically these verbal attacks should not insult our leaders' intelligence. It should not uh, uh, insult the, our leaders' looks, the way they look. It should not uh, insult their personalities. Those areas should be left alone. Now, we are given by the Constitution, and we are given in the laws of our land to have an opinion on policy. But listen, God's Word always comes first. And our, our, God's Word, it does not give us liberty, liberty to insult the people. And we have to be careful because people like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and other these conservative talk show radio hosts, and I know they have good things to say. I listen to them from time to time. They have some good points, but they, draw a lot, they, they cross a line that I believe God drew. And it says, do not speak evil of those leaders. Policies, you can have an opinion. But when it comes to the people themselves, that goes for Republicans, it goes for Democrats, but God's people should speak with grace when it comes to our authorities. We see here, we can disagree with policy, philosophy, without being derogatory towards the person. Listen, Democrats and Republicans are guilty of this. As a Christian, I may not agree with our president, and there are times that I don't. I respect our president. I will honor him. But as far as our, our president, governor, or even mayor, or the different leaders of our land, I, I may not agree with them, but I have no right, according to the Bible, to speak evil about them personally, about their families. And our country is leading more towards the spirit of the Cretans. They, they want to indulge in profanity-like raids and, and, just, and, and just truly insult the people themselves. They want to insult their spouses. They want to insult their children. And that is an ungodly spirit that we as God's people must reject completely. Because why? Because Pastor Brinson says so? No, because God Almighty said so. Speak evil of no man. You know what that word speak evil means? Again, it's being derogatory. You know what the Greek word is? It's blasphemeo, where we get our English word, Blasphemy. It's speaking in that way that is a malicious criticism, a slander. And this is what the really meat of it when I was studying this word out. This is where the meat of it is. When you speak in a way, Christian, when I speak in a way that is meant to cause hurt. And we as God's people, we should never speak, get it, we should never speak in such a way to people, especially when we're talking about our authorities in this context, for the reason of hurting them. Isn't that the temptation? When someone opposes us and someone disagrees with us, what is the temptation? The temptation is to hurt them. I catch myself doing it in parenting all the time. I tell the kids, specifically, not something to do. They, they, they come across with an attitude or with a philosophy of thinking that I totally disagree with, adamantly disagree with. And what I want to do, and I've caught with my kids when they thought that lying was the way out, which, by the way, the Cretans were, they were chronic liars. But when I catch my kids lying, and yes, they lie, I say, look, my, my, the temptation is is to just thrash out and call them a liar. 
And you know what? If I'm not careful, you know what my temptation is? Is to cause hurt on the individual that I disagree with. And I believe that politicians have gotten into this vicious cycle, and even Americans in some way have gotten this vicious cycle that who can say the most hurtful thing about the opposing politician? And as God's people, we can't do that. We must not do that. So we see here, speak evil of no man. But moving quickly here, what else does he say? He says, don't speak, speak evil of no man, but then it says to be no brawlers. All right, so there you go again. Same line of thought here. I believe this idea is that God is calling us not to be contentious, not to like arguing and not to like disputes and looking for a fight, in other words, to try to hurt or harm someone. Can I say this, that mildness, not violence, was to be demonstrated. Mildness. That's the thought that Paul, I believe, is going for. That's what he's trying to encourage, to teach God's people, that there should be a mildness about our spirit. The Cretans had a way of taking matter into their own hands, literally. Thinking, if I could get my hands on that politician, if I could get my hands on that Nero, I'd kill him! You know, there's some people thinking about that about our leaders even today in America. I'm telling you, that's ungodly. We are not to be brawlers. We are not to want to cause verbal harm or hurt or physical harm or hurt. And, and, and it's happening in our country. People are attacking Democratic leaders. People are attacking Republican leaders. Hey, and if there's a people on the face of this country, on, on, in America, it sh- uh, that, that do not go for that kind of thinking, it should be God's people. The local church. And under my leadership, by God's grace, we will always seek to be peacemakers. Can we have our opinions about policies? Absolutely. Do we have a voice? Absolutely. But it must be a voice of grace. That's what he's teaching here. We see here that Paul was a fighter, but he was not a brawler. Paul stood for truth. He sure did. Even against his brothers. Even Peter, James, and those that, 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 that were out of line. Yes, he would stand up to them. But he always did it with grace. Paul was a fighter, but not a brawler. There is a difference. You see, Romans twelve eighteen tells us that if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Not to be brawlers. But then also, I want us to see here that uh, it tells us to be gentle. Look here. Speak evil of no man, be no brawlers, but then look at that next word, but be gentle. Now, some would look down upon this description. Oh, no, that's just being a sissy. You can't be gentle. You got to be tough. You got to attack. Well, listen, can I tell you, being gentle in this context is being tough. It is being strong. It is a great strength according to the Word of God. What does this idea of gentle means? It means to be reasonable. It means to be tolerant. It means to be moderate. It, needs, it means to be calm. As a born-again Christian, I have a, a responsibility in my land of America and wherever you are to, to always exhibit a spirit of calmness and a spirit of control and a spirit of reasonableness when it comes to the authorities of the land. It's almost this. This word gentle is anti Hysteria. It truly is. Do you notice what happens in our land? Man, I tell you what, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our news channels, whether it's Fox News or CNN or whoever it may be, maybe be a talk show, radio, I don't know, but a lot of times they use fear to control people. We're all going to die! The Democrats are going to kill us all! The Republicans are going to kill us all! We're all going to die! Now, they may not say that right out, but I'm telling you right now, they, if you're not careful, you will accept that lie. And what does that, what does that generate? What does that cultivate? It cultivates a spirit of fear and it cultivates a, uh, an attitude of hysteria. And I believe that Paul is telling the Cretans here that that is no, no for you. No. What are you to be gentle? You know where else is interesting? You know where this word gentle is used in the Word of God, the Greek word? It's translated differently in this verse. 
But I thought it was so interesting. In Philippians chapter number 4, verse 5, the Word of God says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. What is that word moderation? Same Greek word that's translated gentle here. What does it mean? Moderation that what? The Lord is at hand. And for God's people, no matter if Nero's in charge, Obama's in charge, Trump's in charge, I don't care who's in charge. God's people need to have a spirit of reasonableness and knowing that God is in control. I'm telling you what, you're talking about the grace of God being powerful to an ungodly society and they seeing that spirit, one that respects the laws, but yet don't necessarily agree with all of them, but respects them and does not get hysterical because some talk show radio host is saying our world's coming to an end if this leader gets in charge. Hey, I'm telling you what, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to be gentle, not to be panicky. You know, we need to consider all the things that are there. This word gentle has several meanings, in fact. It's also something that I thought was so interesting, and I love doing word studies. Another meaning of this word is being compassionately considerate of the situation. Gentle. Knowing, trying to understand the background of this person's thinking. Trying to understand the personality. Trying to understand the history of this individual or, or individuals. And trying to consider it in a respectful way. Trying to consider that this is a struggle of this person. I often think the Lord reminded me recently, church, of this great example that came from our Savior. And it goes right into the line of forgiveness, compassion, being considerate, being gentle. Is when our Savior was laid up on the cross. And he uttered those words up to the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Wow. May God's people be willing to consider the fact that some people are doing it for various reasons. But to have a spirit of gentleness that is there. James told us, that, that is wisdom that is from above. It's peaceable and it's gentle. Same word. So we see here that there needs to be a gentleness. And then uh, also we need to see here, look at the next description. Not only but gentle, but then showing all meekness unto all men. Now what does that mean? Now this is where we can really get criticized in our society. The society sees meekness as what? A weakness. You mean to tell me... <laughs> You're going to be meek and expect to conquer great things for God? Oh, yeah. The Scriptures declare Jesus Christ was meek. He Himself declared it. In Matthew 11, the Scriptures declare that Moses was a meek man, the meekest man on the earth. And these were men of great courage. They were men greatly used of God. And we know that God Himself uh, exhibited this characteristic. Meekness is not a cowardice. It is. It truly is not. I like the way Webster's Dictionary defined meek. Listen to this. Enduring, get this. Boy, we just need this. Church, we need this. Meek, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. A person who is meek, as defined by Webster, is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. And look, folks, there are going to be politicians and leaders in our land, mayors, captains, uh, you know, whoever it may be, sheriff's office. There are going to be people in our society, in our land, that we don't agree with. Policies. But I'm telling you right now. We, as God's people, no matter what, should have a spirit of meekness. They may, there may, I mean, these people would go on to see their brothers and sisters uh, tortured. Tortured. And Paul is telling them, look, hey, show meekness. Show meekness towards Nero. Show meekness towards these leaders that are to get you. Meekness. I believe meekness is having emotions and strength under control. It is a fruit of the Spirit. 
I love the way it says in gentleness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I also like it goes on to say in, in, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, this idea of being, of being gentle, excuse me, of being meek, is uh, you who are spiritual uh, seek to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That's a great characteristic. What does that word mean? It just simply does mean to, to come alongside, to be gentle, and to understand that you can be balanced. You can have a balanced attitude. You can have a balanced outlook. Try to see the other side. A lot of times, boy, we get, we get on people that sin, and according to that verse, we take it the wrong way. We don't follow obedience to that verse in Galatians 6.1. And people that sin, man, we just take an automatic side. We don't even try to understand what the person's going through. I'm not saying you approve of the sin, but you try to understand the person, what they've been struggling with, what they're dealing with. And I believe that is the spirit that we should have towards our authorities as a godly citizen. We see here the responsibilities of God's people to perhaps ungodly rulers. You know, I couldn't help but think of this, Brother Mark. As I studied this, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to try to land this thing. But as I read those characteristics in number two, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't believe this is context, and nobody write me any emails on this one because I know it's not the context. But listen, I couldn't help but think of those characteristics when it comes to parenting. I'm not going to preach that. But listen, God convicted me about the fact that this is a communication that we're talking about in context to our authorities. But parents, you go back and you study those characteristics. Those characteristics of not speaking evil, not being derogatory towards your children, and not trying to say words that hurt them. You try to go about not being a brawler where you try to uh, bring uh, hurtful harm upon them, where you look for a fight, where you're looking for a challenge, where you're daring them. That's a that's a brawler attitude and where we are not uh, simply uh, uh, just being hostile, but we're being gentle, considerate, compassionate. And then also, as we see, being meek. Boy, that's something to think about. But we see here that is indeed uh, our responsibility as godly citizens. I mentioned William Booth earlier, who uh, started the Salvation Army. And by the way, it's one of the probably uh, uh, best, if, if you will, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word, I can't think of it, but ministries that takes donations um, is probably the one that does truly every, most of the money go towards the help of the homeless. Uh, I think there's a percentage. I think it's around 70 or 80 percent. Some of the other ones don't even reach 50 percent to to help in those causes. But Salvation Army has a high percentage of the actual dollar sent going to those needs. But they also uh, give shelter and they also provide a place for people to hear the gospel. Uh, you do find the gospel on their website. I looked at it. But listen to William Booth. Now, it was much stronger in William Booth's time than it is now. But listen to uh, what William Booth said one time, the founder of the Salvation Army. He was meeting with Queen Victoria of England. She was, it was, he was asked to meet with her because she had heard so many favorable things about his work in the slums. She asked him for the secret of his success. Listen to his response. Your Majesty, he replied, some men have a passion for money. Some have a passion for things. I have a passion for people. And if I could sum up what I believe God is going for here for us as God's children to be citizens in this land that truly, truly do care for people that we agree with and that we disagree with. May God help us. Let's pray.